This morning, it's about, it's entitled, The Gentile Church. The Gentile Church. Chapter 11 <clears throat> tells us how the church in Jerusalem related, got along with the Gentiles in Caesarea and Antioch. Having fellowship with the Gentiles was now a new experience for these Jewish Christians who all of their lives had looked on the Gentiles as pagans and outsiders and thought they would never, again, or or just would never come to Christ or could know Christ and just figured it's just they were they were outcasts. Tradition said that a Gentile had to become a Jew in order to be accepted. But now Jews and Gentiles were united in the church through faith in Jesus Christ. And in this chapter, we see how the Jewish believers reacted to the Gentile Christians. That is how they dealt with them. Because this was a whole new thing to the Jewish Christians. And when we look at the Jewish believers' reactions, it helps us to better understand how Christians today ought to interact with one another. And the news that that the hated Gentiles were now included in the church, that news got back to Jerusalem before, before Peter did. Because if you remember, we left off in the last chapter, the last verse said that, that he stayed in Caesarea for a few days. But again, the news got back to Jerusalem that, Jew, that, that Gentiles were now being included in the church and, and that they were getting saved and, and, and Jesus was, was saving them. Now, this news shocked the Jewish Christians. It, it shocked their community so much that Luke, inspired here by the Holy Spirit, tells the story about their conversion over again in this chapter. Just as he told it the first time in chapter 10. He repeats it here in chapter 11. Christianity wasn't to be just another offshoot, a spinoff of Judaism. It wasn't like Israel before her. The church was not going to fail. It would not fail to pass on the blessings of God's grace and forgiveness to the world. So the church's ministry, the church's outreach was sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. And it was a big step, an important step in carrying out God's redemptive plan that was laid out back in chapter 1, verse 8. Taking the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. And that outreach, or that ministry that started with Peter's ministry to Cornelius and his family, it now continues with the founding of the first Gentile church. So now after moving from Jerusalem to Judea, to Judea and then to Samaria, the gospel was now to take, about to take its last, final, and ongoing step to the end of the earth. Again, as laid out in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Peter goes over what happened with the conversion of Gentiles in the home of Cornelius. Now the news that the Gentiles had received the word of God didn't set right with the church in Jerusalem. They wanted an explanation from Peter. They said, Peter, what's going on here? What are you doing? You know, letting Gentiles into the church. So Peter has to defend himself and he has to to defend what he's doing, his ministry. And Antioch becomes the center of the Gentile church. Now in verses 1 through 18, 
we see the response, the first response, or one of the, the responses of the, the, the Jews to the Gentiles. And in verses 1 through 18, they accepted the Gentiles. Let's begin with chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying. Now, while Peter was ministering in Caesarea, word of the amazing things that were happening in Damascus had gotten back to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem church. Now, it either got back to the Jerusalem church by common knowledge, you know, by word of mouth, and the word of mouth spread, and eventually it got to the Jerusalem church. Or it was by some official who took off to the church, you know, and said, hey, you got to see what Peter's doing over there, man. He's letting, he's letting Gentiles into the church. They're getting saved. They're, they're coming to Christ. So, again, they, they, they wanted an explanation of what was going on and what, you know, what Peter was doing. And, and Peter no sooner gets back to Jerusalem when he's met. You know, they're waiting for him. They're met, he's met by members of the Jewish legalistic party in the church there in Judea. And those, those legalistic people were called here, and you notice in verse 2, the, uh, those of the circumcision. And it was those of the circumcision who rebuked Peter for fellowshipping and eating with Gentiles even though they were believers in Christ. This was such an obvious violation of Jewish custom, Jewish law, and all of tradition that it shocked and infuriated the Jewish Christians. Acknowledging that Jesus was their Messiah and Lord, that was one thing. But, you know, now allowing them and accepting them into the church, man, that was just as much... Uh, 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 that, that was more than the Gentiles could take. You know, that, that, was, that, was, that was something else. And you have to remember that these Jewish believers, they didn't understand yet the relationship between law and grace, Jews and Gentiles, and Israel and the church. Now, there were a lot of converted priests in the church who were going to be, who were fanatical about the law. We saw many of them get saved in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And even the average Jewish believer would have a hard time switching over. So it wasn't just a matter of religion, but it was also a a, a matter of culture. And cultural habits are so hard to break. So there was doubt and there was division now among the Jews and the Gentiles. What we need to understand is that what, what Peter did was a terrible thing in the eyes of the Jews. A month before this, Peter would have agreed that it was a terrible thing to do. But Peter kind of apologizes for what he did. He makes it clear that at first, he didn't want to do it at all. But the Holy Spirit was behind the whole thing. Look at verse 4 now. As he goes on to uh, explain now what it was that, that it happened. It says in verse 4, but Peter explained it to them. That is, those of the circumcision. Peter explained it to them in order, notice, from the beginning. So he goes to the beginning to explain what happened, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. 
When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times. And all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Holy Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa. And call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and was upon us at the beginning. As at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice in these few verses here how the Holy Spirit is mentioned four times. And I'll speak about that more as we go on. But instead of get Peter getting into a heated argument with them, the, these, these, the, those of the, uh, of the, of the circumcision, the, the legalistic leaders, Peter just simply tells these guys what happened and what led to the Gentiles getting saved. He started speaking. And as he was speaking, he he continued to explain to them in the order that it happened, just exactly what happened there in verses 5 through 16. And then he finished up his review of verses 5 through 16. Notice with this question in verse 17. He says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that could withstand God? Notice that. In verses 5 through 16, he goes through the whole story. The same thing he said he told in chapter 10. And he gives them how all of this came about. His vision and and the men that came to meet him. and, And how the Gentiles were to be saved and how they got saved. And, and, it, and he finishes up with the question now. If this is of God, who am I to withstand it? Who am I to to go against what God has said? And it shows, as we look in the next couple verses, the legalists didn't have an answer. Now, again, after Peter says, how can I withstand the Lord? Who wants to argue about what God has done? And without a doubt, God was saving the Gentiles which was proved by the coming of the Holy Spirit. With the, and and he, the Holy Spirit came with the very same power and influence that, it, that took place at Pentecost. And from beginning to end, the saving of the Gentiles was a work of God. It was God's grace at work. God gave them the gift of repentance and the gift of salvation when they believed. Years later, God would use the letters of Paul to explain the meaning of one body and how believing Jews and believing Gentiles are united in Christ. Paul said that barrier of separation has been torn down, and this is it. 
But at that time, it was still a mystery. Salvation was still a mystery. It wasn't, it wasn't totally understanding to them, understandable to them. You know, we have the whole word of God. We have the gospel. We, we know how it all unfolds and, and we read about it. So we can't be too hard on those uh, saints at that time who were uncomfortable with Gentiles coming into the church. Now, as Christians, we are to receive one another. Not quarrel with one another. Not quarrel over, you know, cultural differences or, or minor things or minor, minor matters of personal conviction. You know, because I'm convicted about something, I can't hold you to my conviction and vice versa. You know, we're to, we're, we're, we're to receive one another. We have a special relationship with one another. And I've shared this before that, you know, there's over 50 one another references in the New Testament showing how we are to be with one another, you know, to love one another, to, to uh, edify one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens and on and on because there's a special relationship between Christians. Some of the Jewish Christians in the early church, they wanted the Gentiles to become Jews. And some of the Gentile believers wanted the Jews to stop being Jews and to become Gentiles. So again, this is what it's talking, you know, they, they were to receive one and not quarrel over, you know, the, the, these things here. This kind of attitude that they were having here, uh, it, it creates serious division in the church. Not only then, but even today. And that's why it's so important that we follow the example of verse 18. That, and again, uh, and to follow the gentle uh, rebuke of, of Paul in Romans 14.1, where he said, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to, dis, not, not to dispute over doubtful things. We're not to dispute over doubtful things. And we're to receive those that God has also received. So we need to be what God called us to be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. He said, this is my rule for all the churches. So in, in Paul's review of what happened... They should have seen two more key things. First of all, Peter didn't do this on his own. Peter took six brethren with him from the Joppa church. And their their testimony added to his making the case even more convincing. About what had happened and why the Gentiles were now being saved and, and being added to the church. Second key thing. What happened at Cornelius' house was supported with scripture. And Peter reminded his accusers of the word of the Lord, how Jesus used to say, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is a good guideline for all of us to follow. You know, whenever there's, there, there should always be a scripture or biblical principle to support any spiritual experience. Any movement in the church, any work of God. You know, we've seen through the years weird things, you know, the, 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 the laughing and the barking like dogs and, and all of these movements. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. No, it wasn't. I mean, 
That's the importance of knowing the word of God and having a scriptural and biblical principle to support those things. You know, any spiritual experience or work of God, because, you know, people can say and do a lot of things and and then the Holy Spirit gets the blame for it. Terrible. May there always be the word of God and a scriptural principle to support anything that we want to say, oh, the God, God did this or God is doing that. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, notice, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. When these of the circumcision, these legalistic people, heard verses 5 through 16, Peter repeating how this all happened and and saying this was a work of God. They agreed in verse 18, the scripture was being fulfilled just as the greatest prophet of all, Jesus Christ, had said that this would take place. Miraculous wonders uh, signaling the Holy Spirit had come, confirming testimony by trustworthy witnesses, these six men, and the promise of scripture spoken by the Lord Jesus himself. That was enough to silence the protesters. And when Peter's accusers heard what he had to say, they calmed down. How can you argue with the Holy Spirit? How can you argue against the testimony of seven witnesses? How can you argue against the word of God? The fact that they would admit that God gave to to, to Gentiles like he did the Jew repentance that leads to life. Hey, that was one of the most shocking acknowledgments in, in all of Jewish history. Because until the Hebrew Christians came to that realization. They, they would have never started the mission of reaching out and evangelizing Gentiles. So this was the beginning of God's program to lay the groundwork for the first Gentile church. And at least seven to ten years passed since Pentecost until the founding of this church at Antioch. And there were several reasons for, for why it took this long to found this church in Antioch. First, there needed to be apostolic authority. There had to be the apostles' authority. That had to be set up. And it took time for the believers to become grounded in the apostles' doctrine. And it took time to develop leaders for the church. So during those years, the apostles laid the doctrinal foundation for the church. Second reason for it taking so long, the founding of the church, is individual believers needed to be brought to a sufficient level of maturity before they could be sent out. Because immature believers wouldn't be very good, wouldn't make effective missionaries. Third reason for for why the founding of the Gentile took uh, so long is it took time to tear down, again, the long-established walls of prejudice, their culture. And that was starting to happen now. So the time was right to give birth to the church in a Gentile land and to move to the last phase of our Lord's plan for evangelism. In Acts 1-8 where he said, you know, from Samaria to Judea to the end of the earth. So this is the last phase of, of, of Jesus' plan for evangelizing to the end of the earth. And this is an important turning point in the book of Acts. For the first time, the church vigorously, enthusiastically evangelizes Gentiles. 
Now, the Samaritans in chapter 8 were partly Jewish. The Ethiopian eunuch was on his own reading Isaiah 53 on his return from Jerusalem. Even Cornelius took the initiative in seeking the gospel from Peter's mouth. But here the church took the first steps to take the, take the message to the uncircumcised Gentiles. The second thing that we see in, in, the, in the Jews' response is they encourage the Gentiles in verses 19 through 26. So let's look at verses 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, over Stephen traveled as far as, as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came... And had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all, and that with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So after the believers had been scattered all over the land, you know, during Paul's persecution in the church, some of those people ended up, some of those who were scattered ended up in Antioch, which was the capital of Syria, which was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, uh, the, 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 the Pisidia here, okay, uh, this was uh, in the city with, in Antioch in Pisidia. We're not to confuse this particular Antioch, all right, uh, the capital of Syria, because, uh, with this one here, because there were at least 16 Antiochs in the ancient world. But this one was the greatest. Again, the, 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 the Antioch, the capital of Syria. It had half a million people. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Roman Alexandria. It had, it had huge, magnificent buildings. And, and that was what helped to give it its name. Its name was Antioch the Golden, Queen of the East. The main street was more than four miles long. And it was paved with marble. And it was lined on both sides by rows of marble pillars. It was the only city in the ancient world that that at that time had its streets lighted at night. It was also a busy port. It was a center for luxury and culture. Antioch attracted all kinds of people. All kinds of people, wealthy retired Roman soldiers or officials who would spend their days chatting in the baths or they were gambling at the races. It It had a large diverse population, so... It was great for, for commercial and political power. Antioch was, was a great place, again, to evangelize. It had, again, so many people, and it was, it was a wicked city as well. Probably only second only to Corinth. And though all of the Greek and Roman and Syrian gods were honored there, the local shrine was dedicated to Daphne, whose worship included immoral practices. Antioch, was to the Roman world what 
one guy, one, one uh, archaeologist, uh, A. Kelso, said New York City is to ours. Here were all the gods of antiquity. They were worshipped there. And, and you know, Christ had to be exalted there. Not only was an effective church built in Antioch, but it became the church that, that Paul uh, was sent out to win uh, the Gentile war, uh, world for Christ. So when the persecuted believers got to Antioch, they weren't intimidated one bit by all the people, by the diversity, by the magnificent buildings or, or the pride of the citizens. The word of God was on their mind and on their lips. And notice in verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. It was an exciting work of God, His grace. The church leaders in Jerusalem, they had a responsibility to shepherd the scattered flock, which now included Gentile, congrega uh, Gentile congregation and people as far away as from Syria. And it seems like the apostles were ministering away from Jerusalem at the time. So the elders appointed Barnabas to go to Antioch to find out what was going on among the Gentiles. And this turned out to be a, a smart thing to do, a wise choice, sending Barnabas there. Because Barnabas lived up to his nickname, Son of Encouragement. Son of Encouragement. And verse 24 here gives us a spiritual summary of Barnabas. Look at verse 24 again as it speaks of Barnabas. It says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Barnabas was the kind of Christian that, that all of us should be, that all of us would do well to imitate. He was a righteous man, Scripture tells us, who obeyed the word of God in his daily life so that his character was blameless. His character was above reproach. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, again, it is so important for the Christian to understand. And, and when we started the book of Acts, remember I had mentioned, well, if not, it's a reminder here, the book of Acts has often been call, called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And as I said to the first service, you know, when you see the Holy Spirit mentioned, underline it. Because the Holy Spirit is referred to more than 50 times in the book of Acts. And especially when it's referred to, in, when it relates to baptism with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and being led by the Holy Spirit. And you know, the Holy Spirit hasn't changed since the days of the book of Acts. And, and when you look at the book of Acts, you see what a powerful church it was. You know, miracles took place. People got saved. Churches grew. And, and we don't see a lot of that today. Why is that? Because people are, are trusting in the arm of the flesh. They're leaning upon their own wisdom and understanding. They're listening to a lot of what this world has to say, the liberalism, and they're getting caught up in it. And so, you know, he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, which explains why his ministry was so effective. And, and, the, and the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. He's not 
an option. He's a necessity. He's the heir to our lungs. You know, he was a man of faith, which was made evident by the way he encouraged the church and then encouraged Saul. New Christians and new churches need to be like Barnabas to encourage them in their growth and in their ministry. Now, how did Barnabas encourage these new Gentile believers? Well, first of all, he rejoiced at what he saw. And worshiping with Gentiles was a new experience for him. But he came at it with a positive attitude. He didn't look around for things to criticize. He didn't look at the people and say, well, you know, this is the way we should worship and this is what we should do and how we should do it. God was doing a work and God does a work in everybody differently and in a different pace. God was doing a work and Barnabas gave thanks for God's grace. And Barnabas emphasized the dedication of the heart. As he taught the people, notice, and the word of God, he said, he encouraged them to continue with the Lord. He encouraged them to continue with the Lord. And the only way to remain true to the Lord is to continue in his word. Because it's in the word where he reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to the believer. The apostle John wrote this in 1 John 2, 24. He said, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Jesus said in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It's through the word of God that the Holy Spirit, the teacher of all truth, instructs believers. So to continue with the Lord, to continue in the Lord includes loving the Lord, walking in his ways, Obeying his word and serving him with all of your heart, soul, and strength. It means that we belong to him and him alone. And that we cultivate our devotion to him. To him alone. Because Jesus said himself, no one can serve two masters. You're going to have a divided heart. There were two wonderful reasons, or I should say results, from Barnabas' work in Antioch. First, there was the church's witness. The church in Antioch, it made a huge impact on the city. It made such a great impact that verse 24 says, a great many people were added to the Lord. A great many people were added to the Lord. And when Christians, when saints are around, are are grounded in the word of God, they will have and they will be a strong witness to the lost And there will be a balance in the church between edification and evangelism, worshiping and witnessing and teaching and testifying. You know, a lot of times when when churches get stuck on a certain topic or this is their favorite topic and this is all they talk about, the church isn't balanced in their knowledge of the word of God. We need to be taught the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation covering everything. You know, and it's been said it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And many are unbalanced today. They only only want to read the New Testament and the Old Testament is too hard or I don't understand it. Both of them are important to each other and they should be both important to you. Because we need to be, we need to have balance. We need to be grounded in the word. We need to have a strong witness uh, in, 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 in everything that the Bible teaches. Not just experts in a certain area. The second thing, second key thing is the growth of the church meant that Barnabas needed help. 
And so he went to Tarsus and he recruited Saul. Barnabas knew that call that, that Barnabas knew that, that God had called Saul to minister to the Gentiles. Saul had been saved for about 10 years when Barnabas brought him to Antioch. Now, the New, the New Testament doesn't tell us what Saul did uh, back home in Tarsus after he left Jerusalem. But most likely, he was busy, you know, sharing the gospel, evangelizing Jews and Gentiles. And it might have been during this time that, that he founded the churches in Cilicia. And, and when he experienced some of the sufferings uh, that, that he, you know, mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11. And as, as he witnessed in the synagogues, you can be sure that, that he probably didn't have an easy time of sharing the gospel because of things that he saw, how they were so against it. What Barnabas did for Saul, it needs to be practiced in our churches today. Mature believers need to recruit others and to encourage them in their service for the Lord, to continue in the Lord. And we read here that it was in Antioch, There in verse 26, it was in Antioch where the name Christian was first used for the disciples of Jesus Christ. It's only found three times in in the New Testament, and it's in Acts 11, Acts 26, and 1 Peter 4. But that name, the, the name Christian, has changed a lot over the years, unfortunately. You know, it it no longer means Uh, One who has turned from sin, trusted Jesus Christ, and received salvation by grace. A lot of people who have never been born again call themselves Christians just because they were born in the United States or maybe raised in a Christian uh, home. Or they might belong to a church or go to a church off and on. But it takes more than that to become a child of God. It takes repentance. That means forsaking, turning away from sin and turning to God. It's not only what we turn away from, but it's who we turn to. That's important. It takes an obedient faith in Christ, Jesus, who died for our sins on the cross, who rose again to give us eternal life. It takes a life that's lived for the glory of God. And many believers in the early church suffered because they were Christians. Dr. David Otis Fuller has asked, and you've, you've heard this question many times over the years, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Then in verses 27 through 30, here's the third response of the Gentiles to the Jews. Uh, I'm sorry, from the Jews to the Gentiles. They received, the Jews received help from the Gentiles. Verses 27 through 30. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The first Gentile church wasn't just sound in their doctrine they were also strong in their love in their care for others and at this time some prophets came down from jerusalem to antioch bringing some troubling news now the the word prophet the term prophet doesn't refer to an old testament prophet like isaiah or jeremiah or john the baptist but to preachers of the new testament 
And one of those prophets was named Agabus, who stood up and he began to reveal by the Holy Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And the prophecy of Agabus came to pass during Claudius' reign in AD 41 through 54. And in the years AD 45 through 46, uh, they saw another uh, uh, great famines in Israel. So the response of the Antioch church to the request for financial help to help those uh, Judean believers, uh, it, was, it was immediate. Man, the church responded right away. And they gave in proportion to what they had. Okay? Each of them determined to send a contribution to help the brethren that were living in Judea. They determined to help the mother church in Jerusalem. So the Christians at Antioch, they collected whatever they could, relief supplies for the churches in Judea. Much like the generosity of the church in Jerusalem, this was an expression of love by their Gentile brothers and sisters. Each gave in proportion to what they had. And then the church sent the contributions back to Jerusalem uh, in charge of, uh, uh, with, with Barnabas and Saul. So in closing, the final stage in the Lord's command that was recorded in chapter uh, 1, verse 8, again, from Judea to Samaria and the furthest most parts of the world, it had been reached. The church, which was originally Jewish, now had expanded from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the Gentiles in the farthest, the farthest parts of the earth. The church at Antioch, founded in this chapter, was to play a leading part for many centuries. But all of its honors, of all of its honors, one stands out. It was the church that, that the Apostle Paul pastored and from which he was called by the Holy Spirit to start his missionary journeys in chapter 13. And we remember Saul. Man, he was the one who, who came to wreak havoc on the church, to destroy the church in Jerusalem. And, and by means of, of his cruel persecution of the church but i mean you look at it now and how wonderful it is to see how awesome it is to see that 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 saul with his own hands now transformed born again a child of god is bringing help to the same church that he originally started out to destroy only god can do something like that that's christianity in action and that's the way it should be. Father, we thank you so much for this chapter. Father, for again, seeing the beautiful work that you do, God, that only you can do, Father. And again, it's through the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, God, as he leads us and he guides us into all truth. And he teaches us all things, God. So, Father, may we understand the importance of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in the church and in our life, God. And, Lord, may we get grounded and rooted. May we continue in the Lord, God. May we continue. And so, Father, we just thank you. We pray that you would just uh, continue to minister to us, Lord, and through us, God, to share the gospel in this world, Lord. And Father, we just, again, thank you so much for what you've done for us and what you're going to do for us, God. And Lord, we thank you for the offering that we will receive today, Lord. May it bring you glory. May it bring you honor. And as always, we thank you for your goodness, for your generosity, 
and for your faithfulness to us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.